To support this podcast, go to positivesarcasm.com slash donate. Any amount is appreciated. Once again, positivesarcasm.com slash donate. Thank you and enjoy the program. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by PB and Joey. Simple, honest, and delicious. Go to pbandjoey.com for more information. Plus $35 or more gets you free shipping. That's pbandjoey.com for more information. pbandjoey.com. Hey, everyone. Here's a great way to support this website and make money for yourself. This is Robinhood, the app that makes investing easier and offers more ways to make your money work harder. Their goal, investing in financial markets more affordable, more intuitive, and more fun, no matter how much experience you have or don't have. Keep a broker in your back pocket. Everything you need to manage your assets and all available in a single app. Set up customized news and notifications to stay on top of your assets as casually or as relentlessly as you like. Controlling the flow of info is up to you. Have access to stocks, funds, options, cash management, and cryptocurrency. Make unlimited commission-free trades in stocks, funds, and options with Robinhood Financial. The same goes for buying and selling cryptocurrencies with Robinhood Crypto and zero commission fees. Also introducing cash management. Invest, spend, and earn all through your brokerage account. Secure a spot on the waitlist and reserve your card. Here's what I want you to do. Go to positivesarcasm.com slash donate and when you click on the referral banner and securely sign up either using your Android, Apple device, or desktop, you get a share of stock value between $3 and $150 after funding your account. That's all you got to do. You get a free stock. I get a free stock. We all win. Trading terms and conditions still apply. See Robinhood.com for more information. Once again, go to positivesarcasm.com slash donate, click on the Robinhood referral banner, and claim your free stock. Robinhood, it's time to do money. We won. All right. All right. All right. They won too, man. That's not what I heard. Well, we did. We got gesture. We no, no. Below the hard deck does not count. Hard deck my ass. We nailed that son of a bitch. Ha! You guys really are cowboys. What's your problem, Kazansky? You're everyone's problem. That's because every time you go up in the air, you're unsafe. I don't like you because you're dangerous. That's right. Nice, man. I am dangerous. Jay here, PositiveSarcasm.com, streaming live from the Spare Parts Studios. Happy Wednesday, everybody. You can find me on Instagram at Positive underscore Sarcasm, or if you want to be my friend on Facebook, you can go to Facebook.com slash POS Sarcasm. Actually, that's my company website. Facebook.com slash POS Sarcasm, or Facebook.com slash Positive Sarcasm. I got them both, and you can have them all. This coffee this week, Wide Awake Coffee Company, I feel like I just uh, snorted two rounds of cocaine, and I am feeling juicy. Maybe because most of the time I'm drinking dark roast, which doesn't have as much caffeine in it. But this week I'm going with the medium roast. I'm feeling rather alive right now, so don't judge me. But I'm definitely on a roll right now. That was Top Gun, but it wasn't the best crispiest. That intro was brought to you by Top Gun, which actually I'm pretty excited because the new one's coming out in like a couple months, and I'm pretty jumpy about it. Um, it, it does, but the volume on that sucked. But that's okay. I'll insert it post and you'll hear it on the podcast. You can find me on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, uh, Podcast Addict, Spotify, Tune In, iHeartRadio, CastBox. I'm on all of them. You can't get rid of me. Like a cockroach. Anyways, streaming live from the Spare Parts Studios. I got some updates. I finally, um, the coronavirus just came in the mail. Uh, all the way from Guangzhou, China. I think it's Guangzhou. If you're Asian, uh, from that area, that that area of Asian, uh, send me the correct pronunciation of the company. 
or the the town, excuse me, or the village, or the concentration camp that's over there. It's uh, Guangzhou. I finally, I ordered, I almost never order from China because it takes two or three light years to get here. But this thing just came in the mail. It's I ordered the Doom, the new game Doom Eternal is coming out in March, and I'm a big Doom fan. I was playing it all the way back in like 1991 when it first came out. And the new one's coming out, and I was like, screw it. I need some more artwork and stuff for the studio, for the spare parts studio. So I went and ordered the new Doom Eternal, one of the posters, and I'm going to go get a frame for it, and it'll be up directly behind me starting Sunday. Yeah, for Sunday leftovers. So that'll be nice. It's not a pleasant poster to look at, but it is a pretty badass, colorful poster. So you can find me on also well some of the social media. I'm not on TikTok, and I'm not on uh, what's the other one that lost money today because of its flat earnings. Oh, Snapchat. But you can find me on Facebook, and you can find me on Instagram. So you can find me on the Evil Empire for sure. No more Twitter. Bye bye, bye Twitter. Uh, I did want to talk about decorum in public, what you should wear and not wear, when and where and why. Uh, I wanted to get into um, any any time. Uh, an article comes up about Chernobyl. I always want to jump on that. I was I that topic is fascinating. Always has been, and probably will always shall be. The whole "life finds a way" um, phrase stands true when it comes to Chernobyl. So I want to jump into that as well uh, if I get a chance, because generally half the time I, I talk about these subjects and they don't come up until about two weeks later in another podcast. Carb loading. Uh, that's another backup article. 12 muscle cars that you shouldn't have in your garage, which I think is kind of bullshit, but we'll dive into it. They'll find the ones that I agree with and disagree with. And maybe you shouldn't have owned them back in the day, but nowadays they'd be pretty cool if you resto modded them. Resto mod is basically when you take an old, you take the original original version of the car and you restore it to a more modern setting because like back in the day there was this car you probably heard of it it's called the uh chevelle it was just a big huge block engine it was super heavy but it ran on drum brakes which was filled with springs so you'd be doing like 100 miles an hour but you couldn't stop so generally this car it was so powerful but you couldn't brake so almost all of them in the 1970s back when drinking and driving was legal they'd all end up in the wall so there wasn't many original versions of that Chevelle, like the 396 and the 400 whatever, and there weren't many left. So they're really, when they come up in excellent condition, they're high value. But then there were other ones, like the 78 uh, Ford Mustang Cobra II, which was an interesting-looking cool car, especially nowadays, vintage-looking, but had no power, absolutely none whatsoever. And, yeah, so, I, I mean, I don't know where I was going, but that's another article. And then, of course, Q&A. All day from dig.com. And then also, maybe if I get a chance, also another thing on topic on my mind was cars that should go electric. A lot of car companies, like for example, Volvo said in 2021, they're going to pretty much be converting all their cars to either uh, electric. This was about four years ago when I read this article. It was either they're going to convert everything over to hybrid or they're going to go full electric, which is probably a good idea because Volvo was never really, a, they're not really known for horsepower or like big loud cars. Even though Volvos, uh, people turn them into drift cars, they're heavy, the, um, what else? They've, the Volvo Penta engine, it was is used for uh, boats. So, I mean, they have, they can make horsepower, but they're mostly, just, they're, they're known for being quiet and being safe because they're tanks. Well, at least back then they were. But then there are other cars I want to talk about. So, yeah, the new... Uh, Top Gun is coming out in March, and I'm I'm definitely getting. I'm not. I don't care. The old one was cheesy. I mean cheesy, like Philadelphia cheesesteak, 
plus Chicago deep dish, plus New York thin crust, plus constipation for two weeks cheesy. But it's still one of the coolest bro movies of all time. Like 300 and Predator um, and uh, fucking Human Centipede. <laughs> it's all, Top Gun is one of the greatest bro movies of all time. And uh, has it aged? Well, it's aged well, but Tom Cruise's unibrow hasn't. But he got rid of that. And he also, if you didn't notice, Tom Cruise had really crooked teeth back in the day. When I mean crooked, I mean like the whole frame of his teeth. Not that I'm knocking Tom Cruise. I love Tom Cruise. He's crazy. He does his own stunts. He's awesome. Um, and he's got a million dollar smile. Ting! He, did, he, used, he didn't used to. He literally like, for example, you know how you have, you have your two front teeth, or your bucks, you know, your chompers right in front, like perfectly symmetrical down the middle to meet your nose. Symmetry? Symmetry. And, but Tom Cruise had that. It was, no. His top of his mouth was like one of the front teeth was in the middle where your nose meets. So it was completely like an inch off, completely an inch off. And I don't remember when he exactly fixed it, but it wasn't, I don't know if he's actually fixed it all the way. He had to make some serious adjustments to his jaw. So he had a lot of dental work, but I know that it was for the longest time. You can go back and look Go back and look at old pictures of Tom Cruise smiling. You're not doing anything at work anyways. Just go and Google Tom Cruise and look at his smile. You'll notice that his teeth are completely off-center. Um, and just, I don't know, just one of those things that I happen to notice. But it's coming out, and I was totally in the mood for like, all right, I need to... Um, I need to muscle up. I need. I feel the need for speed. So obviously, springtime's coming around, and uh, I'm like, all right, well, it's time to get the time to pull the tarp off the 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 convertible. So I'm getting. I'm out there. I, I I got out of the gym. I got out of some other thing that I was doing, and I went down there and I pulled the tarp off and I took the battery uh, from upstairs, brought the battery down, plugged it in, and then went to turn the ignition and nothing. And I was like, oh, I had that, mm, I needed that that reminder that uh, I, I do love. See, there is a link between material objects and your mindset. And there's nothing wrong with that. I know like if you watch like Fight Club a lot, like materials mean nothing. But I don't exactly agree. There is a feeling of freedom when you have certain objects or the ability to do certain things with certain things or ability to go somewhere in a cool car. There is, and it's not an expensive uh, uh, thing to do. It's just one of those, it's an escape. And we as humans have escapes. We have these primal instincts for certain things. And for me, just having a little V8 is, that's my escape. Um but I went down and I was discouraged. I was like, oh, I hope it's not something I spent like an hour trying to figure out what it was and then it gets in your head. It's like if you're a comic, if you have a bad set, the first thing you should do is go out and do another, immediately go out and do another set. Just get out there in repetition. Don't let it, don't sit on it for a couple days. Go, go, go and get it after it and shake it off. So I didn't want to sit, let me sit on my brain for like another day. So I immediately went out, had the battery tested. Which can easily happen. It can easily happen. Brought and uh, from best case scenario was best case scenario actually not for the money but for convenience was it was a dead battery. So I went and just got a new battery. Left, gave them the old one. Came back, popped it in, got back in it at night, and it was just it was like a cocker spaniel at six a.m. It was like where are we going? What are we doing? Just started right up. Just 
boom, just like that. Like it wasn't sleeping for two months. Like, nope, I'm up. Let's go. Where are we going? Come on, let's get after it. And I just let out this fucking scream. I was so excited. So excited. I'm excited right now just thinking about it. I've got like I've got like six hundred dollars worth of rims sitting here in the studio right now. And I can they're going on next like late next week. The tires, they're getting ordered. I don't care. I'm talking about myself because I, I matter. I I matter. Jew lives matter. The uh, so that's getting taken care of. Uh some paint work is getting done. There's some interior stuff that's getting cleaned up. The grill is getting a an insert in the back. And then a couple, maybe one or two more things. But other than that, she is, she's good. So that's coming out like in March. I mean, sporadically between that and my other car. But just nice to get back in that. And I did. I didn't hesitate. Once that thing started up, I uh, cleaned up a few things, ran right back out, and then took off. And just went right on the highway. And uh, I suddenly realized that I have, this car is complete. It's got the heaviest clutch in the world, like when you generally when you press down, you press down on a clutch and you shift. But the thing with the Mustang clutch, the older ones, they have much heavier, so you have to push down. You have to have, you know, you got to do your squats. You got to have calves. You got to do, you know, calf raises and stuff to be able to push down on this clutch. So you push down on that, you get it puts it into gear, man, and there's no hesitation on it. And um, it's just so good. To have that feeling again, it's it's like hope. It really is. It's like it's like having hope in your driveway of everything's gonna be okay, no matter what. When you get down, you can get in this thing and and get on the highway and go and realize that this thing has the worst uh, body roll of any car I've ever owned. The body roll is basically when you go to make a turn at high speeds, all the weight gets distri- distributed to the other side of the car so that you um, you don't feel like you're safe driving. It's just because the car sits high and it's heavy. It's a four thousand pound car, but if you if you lower it or you give it wider tires, wider and stronger tires, then it's it's less of an issue. So that's that. But I'm I'm having fun just with the idea, and yeah, I'm definitely I'm spending more than the than Congress right now, uh, uh, getting this, getting you know all the things that I want for it, and uh, just things I want for the studio as well. And I don't have to worry about taxes. All that shit's taken care of. All that January crap is out the window. Now I get to spend like a fucking maniac and i'm looking forward to it but um so yeah that's uh that that rant there that diatribe was brought to you by uh tom cruise and Iceman in top gun and the new one go check it out go on youtube and check out the new top gun um the new top gun trailers there's two out two or three that are out um they're both pretty sweet the uh it, it is a and it is a direct sequel it's not a reboot it's an actual sequel but I don't care. Go and go and sit. Go and hang out. Even girls, go have like a girls. Go have a girls' night. Sit down. Go grab some popcorn and some rosé all day. Sit down and watch fucking Top Gun. You'll love it. You'll absolutely have a blast and all that jazz. And then you guys can make out. That'd be great. Uh, but anyways, I want to also wonder. Okay, decorum in public. So I don't live in the most sophisticated of areas. So I wanted to mention this because I do find that people are are lazy, and I wanted to talk about it. Um, I always want to talk about when people are lazy. I don't give a shit. But decorum in public. Here's an easy thing to do. So I have a, a list of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven items. Some are not like more optional. Others are kind of mandatory. And I got it from this article. It was a written about. Uh, hold on, sip of coffee. 
it was an article written about this dude who goes and orders a cup of coffee. He, he's at some restaurant or whatever. He orders a coffee, but the waitress refuses to serve him because, according to him, and according to her, because he has the Apple AirPods. Like, for example, if you have Bluetooth headphones in your in you, uh, nowadays they make the ones that are separate, so there's no wire between them, between the two buds. But with AirPods, he had AirPods in, and he left one in. So if you have earphones in or you have sunglasses on, uh, a person or a server, a worker, can assume can assume that you're not paying attention to them. And if you're not completely paying 100% attention to them, the likelihood of them not being taken seriously or them getting the order wrong goes up. So if you have an earbud in and you are listening to a voicemail or listening to a YouTube video or listening to a phone or talking to somebody on the phone then, or a podcast, then yeah, it's you can screw something up because you are distracted. Just like being a, a driver. If you're texting while driving or talking on the phone, you're distracted. You're definitely distracted. And yes, you should give somebody, if somebody needs your attention, you need to give them your full attention. So she refused to serve him until he took the ear, one of the earbuds out. Let's get to the point of the thing. So, and that was it. And, and the, the spirited conversation as they, as they, they said, as he mentioned it, continued. Now, do I agree with the server? First of all, I mean, I, yeah, I do. I think in this case, demeanor, decorum, and respect for another individual. If you're going to talk to somebody, take your fucking ear pods out. Take your air, your, air, your, 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 your headphones out. I think it's, I think it's polite. I think it's appropriate. Um, even if it's in a coffee shop, those people they work too. I get it. If you're talking to somebody uh, at a coffee shop, you're actually having a conversation. Lower your laptop. Put down your cell phone. Take your earbuds out. Take off your sunglasses, your hat. You should have taken both those off when you entered them. That's the first thing I mentioned. Hats. Hats are a big thing. I, If you're going to a bar, like a casual bar, like one of those country western themed franchise bullshit bars, like I have somewhere, some of them in these towns, take your fucking, or no, those you can leave your hat on because I don't care about you anyways. You have confidence issues anyways by putting your hat on. You know, go Patriots. Fucking stupid. Um, I don't care about that. I'm, I'm, it doesn't matter to me. What matters to me is if you are, if I mean, if you're in a grocery store, you can leave your hat on. But if you're in a restaurant, if you're sitting down to do, if you're sitting down to eat, um, then yeah, even if it's a diner, or maybe not a diner. Okay, there is a certain level you should know when you walk into the place, it, normal restaurant or family uh, restaurant, take your hat off. It's respect to the, it's respect to say that you are not, uh, back in the day when, when, when the soldiers would salute each other, they would take their hats off. They would take their helmets off. They would take their armor, their, their helmet off. So at a restaurant, it's kind of the same thing. It's built from that. It's a show of respect so that they can, people can see your eyes. So you're paying attention to them. So you take your hat off. Even I don't care if you're bald or whatever, you need to take your hat off when you're in a in a, a public place that really encourages that. If you're in my podcast, sitting in my studio, you take your hat off. Your shoes you can leave on. I don't give a shit about that. As long as your bottoms are clean, I don't care. Your bottoms. As long as your shoes are clean, I don't care. I leave them on. Your hat, take it off. I don't give a shit about that. But if you're in a restaurant, I, that's, anno that's annoying to me. It's disrespectful. It is. It is classically disrespectful to if you're on a date or if you're at a meeting 
or if you're just having dinner in general with your kids, they should see set you should set the example for them that if you are at there eating, you need to take your hat off so that it's easier for you to communicate. It's easier for you to it's easier for you to communicate with the the server, the manager, the people at your table, anybody walking by. Uh, so that's um, something to consider. All right. So hats. When you're in a restaurant, take them off. Thank you. When you're meeting, same thing. I've already beat that to death. Let me get back on track here because I was I was off my rhythm for about 10 seconds. Sunglasses. Sunglasses. When you walk into um, – here's the thing. I, I see a lot of people wearing sunglasses because of the fact that in – whether it's prescription or something like that, okay, understandable, or the fact that um, French, uh, commercial places like Home Depot are starting to install – like these smart speakers that monitor, they do facial recognition when you come in. I don't like that. I don't support it. If that continues to be more of a theme, I don't like being tracked. You can wear sunglasses. I don't care. That's one thing of note. As far as, yeah, for sunglasses, you need to take them off though. If you're going into a restaurant, if you're going into a bar, Yes, you need to go into a bar. If you're having a conversation with somebody, you take your sunglasses off. If you're going into a coffee shop, you take your sunglasses off. This is pretty common shit that should be practiced pretty much anywhere you go, but I see it all the time. If you're going to work out in the gym, take your sunglasses off. If you're going into work, you take your sunglasses off. If you're going into um, a, a grocery store, take your sunglasses off. All right? It's not good for you to leave that shit on. Your body wasn't designed with them on. You need to take them off sunglasses you're trying to all you're trying to do they're good for the sun or when you're driving reducing glare but people all you're trying to do is look cool when you're in a public environment and you're insecure you need to take your sunglasses off so just do that do us all a favor it helps us identify you earbuds we just discussed that if you're in a coffee shop take your take that shit out if you're trying to converse with somebody, once you've completed the transaction with the coffee person or whatever you're doing, you can put them back in and focus on work. If you're working at a coffee shop, which nobody ever really does, I used to because I used to be homeless, the idea is you can put them back in so you can focus on your work. My opinion, though, uh, this is a thing. Word of advice. If you have Bluetooth headphones and you're editing video or something that requires uh, actual timing of transitions like audio or video, you have to be careful with ear, which earbuds you do because certain uh, Bluetooth headphones will actually have a delay in them. So when you go to watch the transmit transition at the end, they'll be it'll fuck up. So yes, there is a, a ping delay between the Bluetooth headphones and the thing that you're editing. So my advice to you: hard headphones, hardwired. Always, I would recommend those almost all the time. They're less expensive than they used to be, and you can get good quality ones for really, really cheap. So do that. Jewelry, uh, jewelry. The the if it doesn't make noise, like for example, if you're a dude, maybe a bracelet or two at the most that match the watch you're wearing, and maybe a chain, a huge obnoxious chain, unless you're from fucking Turks and Caicos or Trinidad Tobago. Uh, for the most part, don't be too gaudy with your jewelry. Uh, a chick, well, you're on your own. It doesn't really matter at this point. But jewelry, in my opinion, as long as it's not a distraction or it doesn't make noise. Especially if it doesn't make noise. And men who have like buckles and stuff on their shoes, your shoes, men can't make noise. Their pockets can't jiggle with chains. Their shoes can't uh, clink with buckles. And like, for example, that's my wristwatch. So it clinks sometimes against that. But for the most part, if I'm walking, you don't hear me. You don't hear me walking unless it's the clip-clop of my heels. That's about it. 
firearms. Um, yes, open carry permit, concealed permit. For the most part, if you're going into a coffee shop or you're going into a Whole Foods store or whatnot, um, look, this is a tricky one. If you you have every right to uh, display a firearm, if if it, the state allows it and the policy of the store allows it, okay, that's one thing. Uh, but for the most part, if you just have a um, look. This is not a fucking saloon in 1875 anymore. You don't necessarily need to be packing any. Uh, you no, you can be packing. Excuse me. You want to carry a firearm? You're more than allowed to. I support it. Second Amendment all the way. However, there is style, and style doesn't necessarily prefer that you have a Taurus 357 Magnum sitting right out where everybody to see it, just above your belt buckle. All right. It's distracting. It makes people uncomfortable. If you want to pack heat, if you want to have a fucking hand cannon uh, right above your butt crack, do it. And matter of fact, I'm okay with it because if somebody in there and tries to shoot up the fucking supplement section that I'm in shopping for, for uh, you know, athletic greens, you can kill them and I will happily back you up in court. But as far as like displaying or walking, like I saw a dude who walked into he walked into a market, which is a Whole Foods place near my store, uh, near my uh, gym, and he had two holsters, uh, two holstered weapons, two pistols, one on his left, one on his right. He was just going to pick up milk or toilet paper or something, and it was a little odd. I don't know if he was security or if he was trying to prove a point, but for the most part, it was distracting, and uh, I mean, could he have covered? Yeah, there is. I'm into style, and I'm I am into protect. Yeah, you should always be able to protect yourself at all times. But as far as like open carry in these scenarios, it's not necessary. It isn't necessary. Maybe I can discuss this with something else. But open carry, yeah. If you have a gun in your back rack, okay, fine. But it is a bit much. You're definitely trying to get a point across when you have a gun sitting right there in front of you. Because, first of all, if you walk into a cigar bar, you should already assume that half the people there are packing heat. So if you go there to start trouble, you're going to leave aspirated. Okay? Uh, But, no, it's okay to do that. If you have one that's, if you're discreetly carrying... Like uh, a shoulder holster, but you're covered up with a jacket. You have a back. You have a back waist po- holster, an ankle holster. Okay, that's fine. Or a belt holster. As long as it's secured, it's no issue, and nobody should make a big deal of it. If they do make a big deal of it, the uh, item is secured, and that's all that matters. You're aware of it, and you're that's fine. That's that's guns. All right, uh, gum. So just for the record, for guns, yes, you can carry. Don't make it obvious. It doesn't need to be obvious. It's obvious if you walk in, if you go into a, a store in Texas, you know that people are packing. And it should be, uh, and that's, that's a thing that should be obvious nowadays or should be known and should be encouraged that if you walk into a place and you're going to start shit, you're not going to make it out. Hopefully. But that's another, that's a, that's a big one. But it's, it's a thing and it's real. People should be aware of it. Gum. Gum is another thing. Gum, there are a lot of people out there that don't realize that they like to chew with their mouth open. If you're sitting down, you're having a converse, a light conversation, okay, gum may be acceptable. If you are a server or a professional, uh, gum should be avoided. You should actually be switching to uh, like a, a, an Altoid or sugar-free mint or something like that. Erythritol, I think, is the actual sugar-free mint that you should be supporting. Tic Tacs if you don't care. But 
mints are a big or peppermint oil. You can carry peppermint oil. But gum is one of those things people chew loudly. It's annoying. It gets in the way. If you're if you're talking for long periods of time, it can be a distraction to your viewers or to your listeners. It's one of those things that it's tacky. It's it's diner server tackiness, and you should definitely avoid that at all costs. That's guns. Gloves? Gloves are an interesting one. Gloves are something that girls can get away with if it's part of their outfit. Like, they have those fingerless gloves. I have fingerless gloves, too, but I use that for when I'm flying my drone because I need to feel the toggle so I make sure I don't crash the goddamn thing into the ocean like I almost did last weekend because I couldn't feel the fact that I was still touching the uh, descent uh, throttle, and I literally almost landed on top of a floating plastic bottle. So... That gave me a heart attack for about 10 seconds because there is a, a slight delay between when I have an action with my controller to what the drone does. So, fingerless gloves are, are handy, or when you're out there doing other things, fingerless gloves are okay. But if you're constantly wearing them as a dude, that's, uh, that's just, that's some weird shit. That's some goth, creepy, you know, meth lab type shit, and you don't need to be doing that. Chicks, I don't really care. If it's part of your outfit, rock on with your badass self. The but gloves in general. Um, oh, as far as color goes, try to mix and match or proper contrast with the outfit that you're wearing. If you're inside and you're a dude, you can take your gloves off and you can uh, take your scarf off. Unless, yeah, you could take your scarf off or your afghan off. Yeah, your ooh the afghan. Yeah, unless you're Johnny Depp. But I think even at this point, he's abandoned the scarf and the, or the afghan as well when he's indoors. Either way. Uh, so that was my thing about decorum in public, dressing appropriately, and things like that. Also, okay, shoes. Shoes is a whole other topic. That's a whole other podcast to, in itself. All right? That's a big thing. Oh, if you're wearing dress clothes for, uh, okay, shoes. If you're wearing dress clothes, if you're wearing khaki, I don't give a shit. I don't care if you're in IT at Kinko's. If you're wearing khakis or chinos or dress dress pants, or suit pants, you need to match appropriately. Don't think you can get away with some $30 Sauconies or New Balances when you're wearing a decent pair uh, of pants or chinos. Try to match appropriately or, or some type of nice penny loafer. Try to do that because nowadays you can buy dress shoes or loafers that don't have uh, don't have wood bottoms they have like a rubbery bottom so you can run with them they're more durable they're more comfy you can get insoles for them so you feel better so try to go the extra mile to at least look like you give a shit instead of just doing you know getting looking like an old white guy with the white nikes get rid of that shit it's not gonna do you it's nobody's gonna take you seriously if they see that i'm not gonna take you fucking seriously unless you're jerry seinfeld and we know you have a billion dollars uh, that's it. That's the only exception to the rule. He's a god, and you're not. So, get some fucking floor shines, okay? Thank you. Uh, all right. So that's enough of that. Uh, what do we else go here? What are we at? Thirty minutes? Hey, that wasn't bad. Hmm. You know what? Let's get into the article about Chernobyl. I want to read an article about Chernobyl, like I just said. So we're gonna read an article about Chernobyl. Once again, if you want to support this podcast, go to positivesarcasm.com slash donate. Any amount is appreciated. Also, if you want free stock, go there, click on the Robin Hood banner, and claim your free stock, and it's really that simple. And then you can remove and then you get a free stock. I get a free stock. We can uh, sell them and, and then put the money right back into your account, and there you go. You got a free few bucks. 
Okay, so let's get to this. Chernobyl, if you don't know, back in the uh, ni- late 1980s, there was a explosion, a bad one, in Reactor 4 of Chernobyl's nuclear power plant. And it shot the most, it was the world's worst nuclear disaster. Bad, very, very bad. And still could be potentially very bad. But we've quarantined the uh, the reactor under a new cover. And and now they're in the process of disassembling the entire reactor piece by piece, and it's still very radioactive. It's still very dangerous. So they're using these, uh, you know, mechanical arms on the inside to first of all handle the radiation distortion and the frequencies, and uh, pull pieces out and safely put, you know, get rid of this fucking issue. So, um. If actually, if you want to, for the most part, you want to get a more uh, accurate depiction of what actually happened. You can first of all like, read. You can look, go on YouTube, check out the documentaries. There was a five-part miniseries on HBO called Chernobyl, and that's a must-watch. It's right off the bat what happened, and it ends wonderfully. But it is, it really tells you, it's a great depiction of what actually happened, and it was that bad. So, anyways, this is about. I when I talked about early in the podcast about life finding the way, this is from Real, Real Clear Science. A uh, writer is Ross Pomeroy. Fungi or fungi or fungi that, which is fungus for those you don't know, that eat radiation are growing on the walls of Chernobyl's ruined nuclear reactor. All right, here's the article. I haven't read a good article in here in a while. Back in 1991, scientists were amazed when they made the discovery. A Eerie, an eerie abandoned Chernobyl nuclear power plant. Researchers remotely piloting robots spotted pitch black fungi growing on the wall of the decimated number four reactor and even apparently breaking and even apparently breaking down radioactive graphite from the core itself. What's more, the fungi seem to be growing more towards the radiation. Seem to be growing towards the radiation, as if the microbes were attracted to them. More than a decade later, University of Saskatchewan professor I'm not even pronouncing that. Uh, at the Albert Einstein College of Medicine in New York, and her colleagues acquired some of the fungi and found that they grew faster in the presence of radiation compared to other fungi. Or fungi. Let's go fungi. The three species tested. Uh, I'm not pronouncing that either. All had large amounts of the pigment melanin, which is found among many places in the skin of humans. People with darker skin tone have much more of it. Oh, plus one for black people. Melanin is known to absorb light and dissipate ultraviolet radiation, but in the fungi, it seemed to be also be absorbing radiation and converting it into chemical energy for growth, perhaps in a similar fashion to how plants utilize the green pigment chlorophyll to attain energy from photosynthesis. Big words. To learn more about Chernobyl's radioactive lugging fungi, Jet Propulsion Laboratories uh, researchers sent eight species collected for the area to the International Space Station back in 2016, seeking to observe how the organisms would react. The ISS environment exposes inhabitants to between 80, 40, and 80 times more radiation than on Earth. Researchers behind the effort hoped that the fungi would produce molecules that could be adapted into drugs that be, could be given to astronauts to protect them from radiation on long-term missions. The results from the experiment have yet to be published because there's no ozone layer out there. They're more susceptible to radiation. Also, when you're up in a, uh, a when you when you go when you get on the plane, you go on a little trip across the U.S. That's one chest X-ray. I think one. What's the equivalent? There's a measurement. You actually, it's like the amount of radiation that you get from a chest X-ray. So, anyways, 
Large quantities of, let's see, back on Earth, Dadakova noted in her 2008 paper that Chernobyl's radiation-loving fungi are almost certainly not the first examples of their kind. Quote, large quantities of the highly melanized fungal spores have been found in the early Cretaceous period. Deposits when many species of animals and plants died out. These period co- this period coincides with Earth's crossing the, quote, magnetic zero, resulting in the loss of its shield against cosmic radiation. This raises an intriguing possibility. Perhaps there are places in the cosmos where melanin-containing organisms thrive in environments awash in radiation. Wherever there is energy to be harvested, life just might find a way. There's something cool about this thought, though. So the fact that radiation, I mean, it breaks down, it breaks down your body. It can turn... It killed people. This reactor killed people within minutes. Well, not minutes, within hours. Because the closer you got to it, some people got in in close uh, proximity to the elephant's foot or the radiate or the reactor when it exploded, and they they were dead within hours, if not days. The idea that um, the, a, a algae or a fungi could could grow that close to uh, radioactive material and not only absorb it and continue to grow, but break it down represents a strong uh, future for the possibility of nuclear power plants being, because we're looking for cleaner energy. I'm, I'm, I'm okay with cleaner energy and all that stuff and just progressing towards having that as part of our future. Okay, that's okay. Now, here's the thing. We sh- should we have more radio, uh, more nuclear power plants? Yes, it runs much cleaner. Uh, U.S., we've had very few if uh, nuclear incidents in the United States, very, very little. And also, except for Three Mile Island, that one was kind of it. But the idea that we have, once this radio, radioactive material is spent, we have to then store it or bury it. And this is an issue for when we have to break down this material, the spent uranium or plutonium or thorium or uh, borat, borat, borium, whatever it is, all that shit has to be broken down and placed in storage in a safe, concrete, thick facility so it doesn't get you know hit by the environment and bleed into the water supply and cause all kinds of issues. But if we have algaes and fungi that can break down this toxic, bio, you know, hazardous material, I, I'm wondering if there's a possibility that we could have a lot more nuclear power plants across the country, making cleaner air, and having this algae break it down, and then the po- whatever possibilities could spring from it. I mean, that'd be pretty cool. Like, the idea that right now Rolls-Royce is, is planning to build all these really, t- uh, was it like, f- uh, mm, like uh, an acre and a half size reactor. Like, tons of them. And that's, there's going to be all that spent nuclear fuel. If that, can that, the question I'm asking is, can that spent nuclear fuel be eaten by this algae or this fungi excuse me this fungi and if it can great we have a great way of recycling this stuff and then what can we do with this fungi once it's eaten this uranium or whatever that's a great question i would like to know more about um so there's my thoughts on that and i just found that very interesting that we have all this radioactive the most radioactive place essentially a man-made radioactive place on earth and we got life growing there matter of fact it was inhabitable uninhabitable by humans for the longest time and still is uh chernobyl is not chernobyl and the town just clo- just afar from it pripyat pripyat uh, which was a which was ex- uh, evacuated days after the explosion there no it's in, uh, uninhabitable 
You can't eat there. You can't live there. There's maybe a couple people that broke through the zone and they lived there till, the de- till their death. Animals are everywhere. All kinds of animals. Wolves, their wolf population is through the roof. The place thrives for, with animal life. That's the one thing. They adapted. There's And it's not a desolate wasteland. There's trees. There's plants. There's all kinds of stuff everywhere. And the animals thrive there. And now you've got algae growing on the site literally next to the reactor in an increasing volume. So I find that fascinating that we can possibly recover from something like that. Now, oil spills, that's a whole other thing. We're, we don't recover. We haven't yet. We have yet to figure out how to recover from shit like that. But these radioactive situations where if we're able to break down raw nuclear, I mean, that shit's, that was late 1980s when that stuff happened. And now this algae, is, this fungi is growing now, just now. I think, or no, 1991, what did it say? Let me take a look here. Uh, Let me go back to the top of the article. 1991, so four years after, four years after the explosion, I think four years, yeah, about four years after the explosion, that's when they found, that's when they realized what it was. So uh, that that was extremely toxic. They only had one layer they only had one sarcophagus on the uh, on top of Reactor 4 back then, and it was shoddily made. But literally, I mean, highly toxic environment, radioactive environment, and yet this fungi is growing. So I think that's super cool. Okay, so that's enough of Chernobyl. You can go look it up. Go, if you have Netflix, go and check out uh, the five-part miniseries Chernobyl. Okay, let me finish, get this good, sip this coffee in. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. What do we want to do? We want to finish up with some Q&A? No, let's keep going. Let me get, let me get to this uh, muscle car thingy. Yeah, I want to check this out. So this is uh, hotcars.com. This is, see, 12 muscle cars you should be ashamed for having in your garage uh, by Chris Flynn. I have a feeling I'm going to be disagreeing with Chris a lot. Chris? All right. Number 12 is the, you guys can go ahead and Google this. It's 1971 through the 1974 AMC Javelin, American car, American Motor Company or something like that. The Javelin was a sports car. It's got a cool look to it, but it, it was, most of these cars, they're shitting on them because they're slow. And a lot of these cars that were slow were, were they started because there was a huge oil crisis in the 1970s. A lot of these cars didn't have a lot of horsepower. Actually, a lot of cars back then in the 1970s, in the early 1970s, they had a huge drop in horsepower. The Corvettes, the Camaros, all of them. But the AMC Javelin made a divided first impression, was launched in 1980, uh, 1968. By the time second generation came along, it looked even wilder. The muscle car's ridiculously protruding front fender gave its nickname Humpster. I think that car's pretty cool looking. Go ahead and Google the AMC ja- uh, Javelin. But the, and it was apparently because, let's see, it was also unsafe to drive. Pretty much all cars in the 70s were unsafe to drive. Okay, the Ford Pinto, no argument here. The Ford Pinto was notorious for, if you got into a fender bender, the rear tire, the spare tire, would smash into the fu- into the fuel tank and the car would burst into flames. That was the aura around the Ford Pinto. So, yeah, that pretty much explains that. Is it? I mean, it's cute, but it's not a car I'd want to drive. So I think that's, he's okay. I agree with him. The, the Ford Pinto, totally pass on that car altogether. All right, here we go. Knight Rider, number 10. The 1982 Pontiac Trans Am, also known as the Firebird. Now, this car, the six-cylinder engines back in the day had dog shit for horsepower. They say this one was rated for 90 horsepower with the, lo- with the lower-end engine. And then its larger engine for the Trans Am, which was like a 5.2 or 5.7 liter V8, 
uh, was 165 horsepower. Back then, they didn't have a lot of horsepower. They really didn't. But nowadays, if you have a completely uh, cleaned up Trans Am or Pontiac Firebird, as they call it, they're actually they go for a decent amount of money. They're cool to drive. They got an interest. They got a look all to themselves. It's not. Is it my favorite car? Favorite classic muscle car? No, not by a long shot. I think it'd be cool to drive though. But it definitely screams like high school 1978. You know, Firehawk type shit. But it was a cool car. Number nine. This is the car I mentioned earlier. 1978 Ford Mustang, and it's called the King Cobra II. So they basically just put a huge bunch, huge amount of big words, King and Cobra. First of all, nowadays, if you're buying, if you drive a Mustang Cobra, that's a different car. Like, for example, the Terminator Cobra back in 2004, that was a psycho. If you drive a, a Mustang Cobra or Shelby Cobra back in the late 60s or the new ones, you're driving a machine. But in 1978, the Cobra was, um, power-wise, was dog shit. The King Cobra II only had 150 horsepower. Now, was it kind of cool looking? Well, it kind of looked like a longer, stretched-out version of the Ford Pinto. But it it has, nowadays, it actually has kind of a cool look. But it had really skinny tires. It was heavy as fuck. And nowadays, if you put wider tires on it, and maybe you change out the engine, you do a swap on it. There's something to be there's something to be said for having this as a as a cool looking muscle car, but for me there is too much effort to be even bother with that. There are so much, so many cooler Mustangs out there to be had, such as a late 19 as 1965 to 1970 Ford Mustang Fastback, Bullet, um, Shelby GT, or nowadays you can get a cheap Ford Mustang GT from the New Edge series. The Fox bodies are cheap to find. And, of course, the new ones are also, you know, available as well. So the Ford Mustang Cobra II, definitely the raw end of the bunch, in my opinion. So I kind of agree with him on that one. I don't think you should be ashamed. Number eight, the 1982 Chevy Camaro Iron Duke. All right. What does he say about this one? He says, Camaro was legendary. This is the this is the Iron Duke was part of the IROC series in the 80s. Camaro was legendary as a successful sports car. However, when Chevy launched the third-gen Camaro, the Iron Duke in 1982, it didn't sell many of them. It had a base engine and only had a 2.5 four-cylinder engine producing 90 horsepower. Okay, in my opinion, if you're driving a muscle car, it should not, if, especially if you're a dude, it should not have a six-cylinder engine. Nowadays, it's a little different because uh, engines are putting out a lot more horsepower. The new Ford GT has a six-cylinder engine in it, but it also has like a bunch of turbos, and it's tuned out to a fucking psychotic amount of horsepower. Different animal altogether. Same with the BMW M series, but in my opinion, the the BM the Chevy Camaro, the Z28, back in the in the early to mid to late 80s, that should have at least the uh, 305 or the 350 engine in it, which is a full size V8. It should not be ha- it should not have a four cylinder engine in it. No way whatsoever. It had dual exhaust. It had an automatic transmission. It was a cool looking car with the right amount of minis. Nowadays, that IROC, that Z28 model, is actually quite sought after if it's in excellent condition. They're restoring them. They look awesome. If I found ever found out where my father's Z28 was from 1985, I'd go track it down and I'd put it back. I'd bring it back into this family, and uh, get it ready to rock and roll. I wouldn't change it. I'd leave it as an automatic with the same 5-liter or 305 engine in it and leave it exactly as is. But as far as a four-cylinder, yeah, you can blow me. The 1968-70 to 70 Pontiac Tempest. 
That actually is a cool-looking car. I don't know why he's saying The second gen of the Pontiac Tempest was supposed to be attract drivers when it was restyled in 68, resembling a bottle of Coke. It was a narrow center and an outward curving fenders. It was discontinued after two years in production as a result of bad sales and negative feedback. From the looks of it, it looks like a classic muscle car. It has the right tires. It's got the right rims. It's got a decent back to it. It's got a big, aggressive front. I think that's a cool-looking car. The Pontiac Tempest from 1968? That's a sweet-looking ride. I would drive the shit out of that. That thing's a monster. What else we got here? The 1980 Plymouth Volair Roadrunner. That's not bad-looking either. A 1980? What was that supposed to be styled after? Nothing quite stood out with this car, making it a total flop. Yeah, the front end's not that great. Uh, it was powered by a 5.2-liter V8 with a two-barrel carburetor producing 120 horsepower. Oh, my God. That's insane. Making it out at 99... Top speed, 99, 99 miles per hour. On top of poor performance, there was also a major recall in 77. Yeah, we could probably do without that one. Sad. The 1977 Chevy Monza Mirage. Oh, my God. That's basically a knockoff of the original Fox Body Mustang. That thing is fucked out. Forget. Yeah, we're going to. Okay, I agree with him on that one. 1980 Mercury Capri RS. Basically, a, a Ford Mustang, 2.3-liter four-cylinder engine, Garrett turbocharger. Yeah, that one's just an ugly car pass on that one. This one, I don't agree with, with him. 1979 Oldsmobile 442. This thing is sick looking. It's got, like a, it's got like a sky or a sky blue uh, coat to it. It's got white stripes. It's got huge hood scoops, two of them. It's got the old barrel-look headlights, circular headlights. It's got a huge woodchuck grill it's got a it's got a toned white top this thing is sweet looking i would drive the fuck out of that what does he say about it back in the day oldsmobile used to build great racing cars with cool designs however in 1979 the oldsmobile 442 barely made 115 horsepower in standard form and topped out at a maximum speed of 109 on top of that its exterior design looks unappealing i don't agree dude i think that thing looks awesome i would drive the shit out of that I would rest- I would change the engine. Most his biggest issue is with the engines in these cars that they don't put out a lot of horsepower. You know what? A lot of them didn't. A lot of them didn't. But to drive a muscle car, it has to have the right sound and it's got to have a decent amount of power. So nowadays you would definitely swap out the engine or you put on some bolt-on parts and you could definitely fix that problem for sure. But I would drive the shit out of it if it made out made some of those modifications for sure. The 1995 Chevy Monte Carlo that thing is disgusting looking. That is basically a four-door sedan, and all they did was chop off two of the doors and make the front ones longer. That one is basically a Chevy Lumina. It's, yeah, that thing is quite, mm, yeah, I'd, I'd pass on that car altogether. 1982 Ford Thunderbird. This is number one in his mind. The classic Thunderbird had always been branded as one of the more deluxe Ford models. Some of the changed exterior design, 1980, yeah, that's a grandpa car. That was they were trying to rem- emulate like Cadillac's look back in the day. There's nothing spectacular about this car. I agree with him, and it's definitely one of the worst for the size of the engine. It's the wor- He says it's the worst Thunderbird you could buy, and you know what? I agree with him. That is a car I, I would buy a '90s. I would buy a or a mid to late '90s Ford Thunderbird over this for sure. I mean, at least that car had like a Crown Vic engine in it. 4.6 liter V8 had decent horsepower and you know you can find them on the cheap too so I would kick that one to the curb so that was my thoughts on that uh we got 10 minutes left in the podcast let's uh let's get some q and I want to get some Q&A there's I know there was some Q- good Q&As in here for this week so I definitely wanted to get one or two uh before we call it a day 
random as always is this podcast, and that's why I love it so much. All right. Ow. Frick. Well, I haven't had any other internet issues, so great. All right. Okay. How do I tell the woman I've been dating for a year she's my, quote, backup choice? I've been dating a particular woman on and off. Let's call her H during the last year. Meanwhile, I've gone through on a few dates with others. H is aware of this, but doesn't know the full extent of my romantic life. H isn't my girlfriend, and I don't intend to get into an official relationship with her. For instance, Valentine's Day is coming up, and I think I'd rather spend it with a different woman. But I don't want to hurt H's feelings, and I want to keep seeing her until I commit to someone. Recently, H told me she loves me. I don't love her. Honestly, I don't want to hurt H. You're gonna. And I do want to keep seeing her. You mean you want to keep fucking her? As long as we're casual. I suppose we have to break up eventually, but that might not be for years. (laughs) What? Or maybe if I don't find anyone else who's marriage material, I might have to settle for H despite her flaws. And I don't like to come some I don't like to call someone my backup choice, but I guess that's how it is. I want to approach the situation with honesty and make everyone happy in the long run. How do I make the best how do I how do I best talk to H about this? All right, you need to you need to you need to send her on her way. This is not you okay. Your backup choice. So if nobody else decides to like you, you're going to compromise with you're going to compromise with this woman. Um, then that means you're not going to give her your best effort. She's and you're going to in a couple of years you're going to break up with her. So she's going to spend all her time making effort and time for you, and then you're just and then you're going to wait. You're going to eventually after a few waste her time and kick her to the curb. You've you've wasted the prime of somebody's life to go and kick her to the curb for somebody else. That's not it's not a good thing to do. Now, granted, when I was younger, I definitely did that. I can think of one instance where, now that I think back on it, if I was to actually make that decision, I would have spent much more, uh, much more time with that person and would have pursued it more, more properly. But hey, you know what? You can't go back. Well, yeah, you can't make up for the things you've already done. But I might, and this was years ago. Yeah, it was years ago. Not that I, either way, but yeah. Um, I would have pursued, actually, if I, back in the day, thinking about my own experiences, I would have, I, I probably should have pursued this more, uh, on a level that this person is not willing to do. It shouldn't, you shouldn't be, now that I think about it, this person actually should, no, they should just break up with them. You are, yeah, she told you she loved you and you don't love her. Okay. Then you need to, you need to kick that one to the curb and let her go and seek out her own life. The things that she wants to do. You're keeping her as a backup choice, which means you're not treating her properly and if you are going to, you know, settle down and compromise with her, then you're not treating her properly now, and you're definitely not going to treat her properly then. And then you actually need to go and have a thought about yourself as to how you treat people in general. Because the idea is the same thing could happen to you, and you you wouldn't appreciate that, would you? Treat others, you know, how you'd want to be treated is kind of, is there's kind of something to that, you know? But as far as, let's see, he's gone on a few dates with others. H is aware of this, but doesn't know the full extent of my romantic life. Well, okay, tell her what she needs to know or flat out lie to her. I think you're bordering on lying to this person. Vice versa, man or woman, doesn't matter. You're lying to this person about your intentions. And that's, it should always be, everything should be up front right, right away. If you are, if you are a person who wants to pursue these casual relationships, which casual, casual and relationship, I don't know if necessarily should be on the same level there's relationship and then there's a casual seeing of somebody all right and then at this at this point or or fling as you'd call it 
you want you're gonna hurt her feelings, and the longer you string this along, longer you string this along, the longer you string her along, if that's how you do it, you're um, it's only gonna hurt this person more. So my opinion is uh, ditch the easy ass and go and pursue a challenge, and you know make an effort to be a better person so that you can meet better people. That's how I would approach this situation. I don't think you're doing a good job of this. How do I talk to H about this? Yeah, you need to get, you need to end it. You need to end it. And calling him your backup choice, I appreciate the honesty, but I don't appreciate the assholery. Save the douchiness for me, bro. All right, let's uh, let's do one. Let's see if we can find one more good one. Let's see. Am I just a dying bit? Ooh, that's a toughie. I don't know. Let's do the coworker threaten to talk to my manager, but I don't gain weight. What? Oh. Uh, okay, tell my friend stepmother she can't come to my friend back. There, there is always so many good ones. Let's see. Okay, yeah, let's end on this one. Nutrition is always a big thing with me. Should I continue forcing my son to exercise and count calories, even though I hated when my parents fat shamed me? I'm comfortably retired mom with a 17 year old son. I totally resented my parents fat shaming when I was growing up. I went to the gym every day as a young adult and could never please my parents. Now I see the point my parents tried to make. I am making my son log calories on a website to be aware that beef brisket has a ton of more calories than fish. All right, we'll talk the rules and laws and all the science behind. Let's just pass that part. Let's just get to the point of what she's trying to make. The point she's trying to make. I make him run the stairs in our house one flight and do two minutes of cardio. I'm teaching him not to be sedentary. I have this bad, looming, horrible, guilty feeling about this health education because how my parents treated me. Is it okay to get my son to log meals and learn about calories, good and bad fats, etc.? Yeah, absolutely. And if he's under your roof, if, if they're under your roof, they're under your rules. Okay, for the most part, yeah, you should be... Teach him how to balance his checkbook, teach him how to make food, teach him how to tie his fucking shoes, drive a car, and teach him about his own body health and wellness. Absolutely. If you want him to get off his ass, stop playing PlayStation all goddamn day, and actually get into a gym and work out and take care of himself, yes, that shit will turn into a habit. I understand maybe some people have issues when it comes to fat shaming, but I totally agree. Yeah. Get to work, kiddo. He's 17 years old and he can't live under your house forever and he needs to learn how to take care of himself financially, mentally, and physically. So I completely agree. Who cares if you're feeling guilty about it? Get him off his ass and keep him moving every single morning. He'll be a better person for it and he will thank you in the long run because you stuck to it and as long as he sticks to it, you'll be a better mom for it and you'll be examples to others beyond your years. And that is how I want to end this week's podcast. We're at 57 minutes. I want to thank you all for listening, watching, and subscribing and chiming in from time to time. If you want to be a guest in this podcast or you merely want to sip some coffee and sit on the casting couch, you can email me at positivesarcasm at outlook.com or you can contact me on my website or you can slide on my DMs. Don't be dirty. No dick pics, please. Um, and just, you know, just let me know what you want to do. And if you, have a po- if you want to be in the podcast, email me, talk- ask me what you want to talk about. No big deal. And then, of course, uh, you can find me on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, Podcast Addict, CastBox, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Spotify. You can find me on the social medias, of course. And, of course, if you want to subscribe to my YouTube channels, Positive Sarcasm and Positive Sarcasm Podcast for all the weekly clips. Until then, streaming live from the Spare Parts Studios, thank you for listening, watching, and subscribing. This has been a Positive Sarcasm presentation. Here comes a boom. I got
game like Kobe, act like you know me. If you rhyme better when I give you best, show me. Fly by red kid, never come a second. Fists in my pocket, use my words and my weapon. Get a blast open, girlies are bumping. Gotta get the dough like a man Donald Trump in. Set this in motion, Charles in the ocean. If you need a rhyme with a kid, I got the potion. Damn, building this stuff like a high rise, better get fatter than El Carter's lot five. Coming in slang, can't never leave you hanging. If you talk shit, then on your door I'm banging. Listen up, hip hop, running with my flip flop pass on the cops, just chilling at the dollar shop. For no other reason, no, it ain't treason. Just coming up, cause this is a zebra head season. Get it back, get it back. Podcast, go to positive sarcasm.com slash donate. Any amount is appreciated. Once again, positive sarcasm.com slash donate.